You're listening to episode six of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and today we ask the question, so now what? Hey everyone, welcome back to Chirps. As always, Alex and I are grateful that you decided to stop by, give us a listen, and if you missed any of the episodes so far, you can always go back and listen to the earlier episodes. Make sure you hit subscribe on the Birds on the Black podcast, wherever it is that you listen to your favorite shows. That way you won't miss an episode, and you can always find us at birdsontheblack.com as well. And while you're there, you could also make sure that you enter to win a Birds on the Black beanie. We're giving away five of them. The winners will be announced two weeks from uh, today, the day that this um, that this show will go live. So plenty of time still to enter there. Alex, it has been quite a week since we last talked. Um, I fully expected to have a little more time before the hot stove ratcheted up a few notches, but here we are. The Cardinals jumped the gun on the winter meetings, got their guy, or at least a guy who fills a lot of the needs that they had. I guess let's start there real quick. We talked briefly about Paul Goldschmidt last week. Were you surprised to see the Cardinals go out and get something done that significant ahead of the winter meetings this week? No, it seems like if that's a trade you're going to do, that's a trade that makes sense to do it when they did it. I feel like that's around the same time when the Hayward deal was done um, before the 2015 season. So, so no, I wasn't surprised at all. Um, I'm, I'm still confused or just um, uninformed on what the plan is going forward in the winter meetings. Um, not just the winter meetings, uh, because I think this is just kind of, I, I forget who, who said it, but it, it's just like a glorified trade show, basically. <laughs> um, like it's completely unnecessary when obviously all these teams, you know, this is 2018 and teams can easily call each other, email each other, text each other anytime they want to. They don't all have to converge on the same location and do all this stuff. But uh, yeah, no, no, I wasn't surprised. Um, I wasn't surprised by the timing. I was, I was a little surprised by what we sent to Arizona and I, I thought it turned out to be, um, I thought it was a good deal. Yeah, I think it might seem like the Cardinals got the better end of that deal. I think that will be determined by whether or not Paul Goldschmidt stays in St. Louis and at what cost. But um, I think the Cardinals didn't really have a place for the the players that they sent to Arizona, and they're going to have a real shot at making a difference on, on that roster. So I think it worked out well for both the Diamondbacks and the Cardinals. But to your point, it does still leave a lot of questions, right, about what this team is going to be and, and how they're trying to move forward. And, I feel like we've always had a pretty solid grasp on this long-term agenda that John Mozeliak likes to talk about. That's a little bit in conflict with some of the moves that they've made and some of the conversations that have been had since then. The The timing of the Goldschmidt deal definitely opened up the front office's time in uh, in Vegas this week to talk about other things, to visit with other teams and other players. Um, but what exactly they're going to do seems to be I don't I don't want to call it a mystery because they're going to try to find left-handed relief help. They're going to try to find a backup catcher and they're going to try to find a a left-handed bat off the bench. Those things they've been very clear about. What they've been less clear about is whether or not that's all they're going to do. And everyone wants to ask about Bryce Harper without actually asking about Bryce Harper. And of course, those conversations are all going on right now. 
by the time this show goes live, who knows what will have developed at that point. But like you mentioned, there does seem to be a little bit of confusion. And maybe it's just a, a disconnect between this sort of win now move in Paul Goldschmidt, which is what we're going to talk about for the most part today, but also this sort of cloud hanging over everything else as far as Bryce Harper is concerned. Right. M- make no mistake, the the bullpen was an absolute disaster last season. So I I think it makes sense and I understand why they are talking very openly about wanting to improve the bullpen. I, I think what worries me about that is I think improving a bullpen is one of the harder things to do with just how volatile relievers can be from season to season. I, I think back to s- some great bullpens of recent memory, I guess like Milwaukee last year or uh, maybe Kansas City in 2015. Yeah. I feel like those yeah. bullpens were very were built pretty organically. I feel like whenever a team goes out and says, you know what, we're going to build a bullpen this winter, it always turns out poor, poorly. I, I remember yeah. the Do- Look at the Rockies last right. year. Right. <laughs> and I, I remember when the Dodgers, I believe, did this before the 2014 or 2015 season. Um, you, you know, they, they turned out fine because they're the Dodgers and they were, they were good everywhere right. else, but the bullpen was still bad. So I, I don't quite know what they should do there. I, I know Britain has been um, on a lot of people's minds. Um, I just, I, maybe I'm spooked by Cecil, uh, Holland and whatnot. But I just don't like giving money to a lot of these guys. I think back to some of the great relievers, like, well, like say Mariana Rivera or before him, Dennis Eckersley. Those are really the only two guys I can think of in recent memory who I would like really open up the checkbook for and say, let's get these guys. These are good relievers that we want on, the, on our team. These are difference makers. Um, I think the closest thing to that right now would be like Craig Kimball. And what is he? I, I think they said he wants six years, and that's insane. Yeah. Um, I still wouldn't, you know, go anywhere near that for a relief pitcher. So I, yeah, I really don't know what they should be doing on that front. I do think they should be going after Harper. I think it's ridiculous if everything comes to pass and they don't make a competitive offer. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I said on Twitter the other day that that six years for a reliever, it's basically like dog years. So you're talking about basically like 35, 40 years in in reliever time. That's what it feels like anyway, because so much can happen. And as you said, relievers tend to be so volatile that it just the years make me more nervous than the money. Although, of course, with with the recent Holland issue, that still haunts. Uh, haunts the memory a bit. But we'll see what they do on that front. Uh, I expect there to be some movement. Um, As far as Harper is concerned, they haven't outright said, no, we're not in pursuit of Bryce Harper. But no one's really saying, unless you're the Phillies, that they are in pursuit of of Bryce Harper at this point. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But regardless of any of that, what the Cardinals do have is Paul Goldschmidt, mm-hmm. at least for one year. And let's not um, bury the fact that that's a pretty big deal for this team to be able to go out and acquire that kind of talent. We talked about that a lot on a, a previous episode. But I, I want to kind of start with this because at the press conference, John Mosellek made a point of saying that 2019 is important 
And that is why they wanted to make this move, go get Paul Goldschmidt, even though there is just the one year guaranteed. So he got his guy. He added up, what, five war player, gold glove caliber defense at first base, a a perennial MVP type guy, legitimate middle of the order bat. In a lot of ways, he's everything that this team has been looking to add for the last several years. But almost immediately, I mean, we started the show talking about Harper, not about Goldschmidt. So the attention turned to, okay, what else have you got? So Alex, I think there's a lot to kind of sift through here. um, Because like I said, on the one hand, they got Paul Goldschmidt, and that's not insignificant. But if 2019 really is important, there are other things to consider. So I mean, my question for you, let's sort of play both sides of this and and start with the idea that, that Paul Goldschmidt is the boost that they need. But as the NL Central stands right now, how much of a bump do you really think that he is for the Cardinals as they're looking up at two other teams in the standings? I, I think he's a significant bump, but I don't think he's enough. Um, Joe Sheehan in his uh, Joe Sheehan in his newsletter, and, and I think he's as good as anyone at this sort of uh, analysis. You know, I know he can be kind of grumpy at times, and uh, <laughs> a lot of Cardinal fans get mad at him, but. To his credit, I think he's that way with, with pretty much every fan base. And sometimes he just tells us uh, what we what we need to hear. Um, but regarding Goldschmidt, he was more down on the trade um, from the Cardinals' perspective than I was expecting. And his point was mostly that, look, every team can use a Paul Goldschmidt because he's that good. But Cardinals don't need them, don't need Paul Goldschmidt as bad as most other teams. You know, meaning like say the Reds, like the Reds are a team that absolutely do not need Paul Goldschmidt because they have Joey Votto. And I don't think either of those guys are prepared to really play another position, right? Well, Matt Carpenter is kind of the poor man's Joey Votto. um, And and that's not an insult to Carpenter. That's just how good Joey Votto is. Um, The only difference here is we can move Carpenter over to third. Um, Well, that that displaces Jed Jerko. And so really the difference is between Paul Goldschmidt and I guess Jed Jerko. And also I guess you can factor in maybe a little diminished defense at third with Carpenter over there now. And his whole point is, you know, they're really not improving a position where they really needed to improve. You know, this isn't like, say, if we added a player and, you know, I'm just using this name even though um, he's on all of our minds, but it's not like adding Harper to right field where he takes the place of Fowler's production last year. Um, so that so I thought that was an interesting point and worth considering. Um, that said, I thought he was just a little too pessimistic because I do think Paul Goldschmidt is that good of a player. Now, the, the problem is I see it, and I think when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, is I said I'd be excited if they traded for Paul Goldschmidt because to me that would mean they're going for it in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I still don't understand why you make that trade if you don't make a few other moves that really say, like, you know, we, we think we can win the division. We are going to win the division. We expect to win the division. And now maybe they, they think they can do that now um, with the, the, the eight that they can throw out there right now or whatever <laughs> Mo said the other day. I don't, I'm not as confident in that as they are if that's what they think. I mean, look, the Cubs won 95 games last year, and – I feel like everyone's acting like they only won 85 games with the way, you know, everyone's acting like, you know, can the Cubs write the ship, blah, 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 blah. You know, like they won 95 games. And that's with (laughs) players like Chris Bryant, who's one of the best players in the National League, who was, you know, hurt for a lot of the season. You know, the the pitching was pretty bad or injured a lot of the time. So I don't expect the Cubs to be going anywhere. Obviously, Milwaukee probably played above their 
you know, probably played a little above what, what they should have played last year, but still Milwaukee's not going anywhere. So I think it's not an insignificant bump at all because it's Paul Goldschmidt, but, and I do think it makes them more competitive in NL Central, but man, I don't feel 100% comfortable if this is basically it for the moves they're making on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, it's interesting trying to figure out how to quantify what that difference is going to be, right? Because, you know, there are a lot of, it's addition by subtraction in some ways and, and vice versa. So I did a little bit of comparison of uh, a few stats, offensive stats, basically like position by position of um, the teams in the NL Central. And I won't bore you by reading off a bunch of numbers because this is an audio medium and that doesn't work well. Um, but basically what I did was I, I used W RC plus just sort of as an all encompassing, Hey, here's a quick look at um, the offensive production position by position in the national league. Um, and the way that it breaks down is that with Paul Goldschmidt at first and Matt Carpenter at third, the Cardinals have the best offensive production at those two positions. The Brewers are the best offensively by position at center field and, uh, and in right the Cubs and the pirates uh, are tied offensively, again, with WRC plus in left field. Um, Javi Baez leads the the National League at short, um, and then the Pirates are the top number at catcher. So I, I have all that broken down by, by player and team and whatever, and that's all not really effective in this conversation. But the point is, by the numbers, Paul Goldschmidt and Matt Carpenter at the corners make them a very potent duo. Um, and it puts them in a position where, like the Cubs and the Brewers, they have the top spot in two positions on the field. Um, just for fun, I looked at the the new DRC Plus um, stats for the same teams, um, which if you're not aware or haven't looked into it, it's deserved runs created. It's very complicated, and I'm not going to pretend that I understand how it's all calculated, um, but essentially it's like WRC Plus on steroids. <laughs> but it does change those rankings a little bit. DRC Plus really likes the Reds. <laughs> Their hitters rank very well um, in a number of positions based on those numbers that sort of project how much their value actually created those runs. So that's just an interesting uh, little tidbit. The Reds may have a little more offensive firepower than it seemed based on the struggles they had this last year. But as far as how much better the Cardinals got with Goldschmidt, I think it's interesting that you brought up Jerko because I looked at how the comparison it would have been with Jose Martinez. Um, because while Goldschmidt displaces Jerko because Carpenter moves to third uh, a lot of time last year it was Carpenter and Martinez at first base so there's um, that element to it as well um, when you look at their WRC plus numbers again uh, there Goldschmidt was uh, had 145 WRC plus in 2018 mm -hmm. um, Jose Martinez had 125 so we're talking a significant boost there. And then if you look at Jed Jerko versus Matt Carpenter at third base, he was at 110 WRC+. Plus, um, and I believe Matt Carpenter was at one, what was it, 138 on That's the season. Right. Yep. So it is an upgrade either way that you look at it. So I would tend to, to see it a little bit more positively than, than maybe even you did based on that uh, article by Joe Sheehan because – the direct comparison of the options the Cardinals had really 
presents a very telling case for how much better Paul Goldschmidt is than either the combination of Matt Carpenter and Jed Jerko or Matt Carpenter and Jose Martinez. So all of that is a very complicated way of saying I I don't want to undersell how much value I think Paul Goldschmidt has. Where it gets difficult is how much ground the Cardinals have to make up in the division for that to be enough. The Cardinals got much closer. I just don't know how much closer that actually is based on sort of Paul Goldschmidt's value in a vacuum. Correct. And and let me just say, I don't want to be underselling Paul Goldschmidt at all. Like he's obviously a great player. He's about to be in his what, age 31 season. So, you know, that's still, there's no reason to expect any sort of decline from him, you know, but for an, an unfortunate injury or something of some sort. I think what has the potential to frustrate me is, again, we have Goldschmidt for one season. So we should be going for it this season. And there are opportunities there in terms of the Cardinals have the money. The perfect free agent is right there. It's going to be very frustrating if, and I hate like, not that I'm sure, I doubt Paul Goldschmidt cares, but I hate the fact that, you know, we just traded for this awesome player and I keep going back to Harper. But, you know, look, we set precedent last season, last offseason, the Cardinals were going after Giancarlo Stanton for what would have been, I think, 10 years and $295 million, although I don't, I don't recall if they were going to pick up that entire tab. I feel like they were, but someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe they were only going to pick up like 250 or 260 and also send some prospects. But regardless, that's a ton of money for a guy who was two years older at the time than Harper is right now. And Moe's philosophy is always has always been pretty correct. Like, no, you you don't mortgage any sort of future on um, one season, and so Harper kind of helps them both ways, right? Like he's he would make. I mean, if you can imagine, all right, I'm going to back up a little bit and and to try and explain why I think Harper would help so much, and it kind of goes back to some of the stats you were rattling off. Like the Cardinals hit a ton of home runs um, last year. But they still didn't score a ton of runs, and they still didn't even score a ton of runs off home runs. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they weren't getting on base a lot. I think what I, I think they were like ninth in walks, like eighth in on base percentage in the National League, um, whereas they were like third or fourth in home runs. Harper, as we know, is very very good at getting on base, and I can just imagine a lineup where Matt Carpenter and Bryce Harper are in front of Paul Goldschmidt. That's the best lineup in the National League. I know that's just three guys, but they have good enough pieces also, four through eight. That's going to be the best lineup in the National League. That would be an insane lineup with those three guys leading off. So to me, I just don't understand with the precedent sent last year with Stanton, why when the opportunity is there to, again, we only have one year of Paul Goldschmidt, why we're taking a chance of another 89-90 win season, which could leave them on the outside looking in without wading into the waters of Bryce Harper. And again, I'm making assumptions here. I'm making, I'm assuming that they are not. Yeah, I mean, if it does, I think it'll be, uh, it'll catch everyone by surprise because I think they've done a good job of convincing uh, the majority that they're out on Harper without ever actually saying that they're out on Harper, which is a, a fascinating skill that well, John Mozeliak has. Well, you don't have to say you're out on Harper if you were never even in on Harper. <laughs> well, yes, but um, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think that there's there's such a case to be made for Harper that it's hard to understand why an entire team of people in the Cardinals front office would be looking past it. 
I guess the the flip side of this for me, and maybe this is me just sort of subconsciously trying to find ways to still be excited about the Cardinals in 2019, even if they don't go out and surprise the world and sign Bryce Harper. I think I talked about what Paul Goldschmidt does for this roster on his own, sort of in a vacuum. But I'm curious to know what you think he does for the rest of the lineup um, because the Cardinals haven't had that guy in the lineup in quite a while. So, you know, you're talking about protection for, in theory, Ozuna, who's hitting behind him, whether it's Bader in front of him, or I certainly hope they don't try to put Fowler in the two spot right away and make him prove himself there a little bit. We saw Yadier Molina hitting second for a while last year. I did not hate that. But if it's just Paul Goldschmidt, how do you see this lineup shaking uh, out in the best way to kind of help the rest of the guys in the lineup because of the pitches that they're going to see because of the guy hitting behind them and all of those sort of subsidiary things that adding Paul Goldschmidt to that lineup does. No, that's a really good question. And I think one good thing that Paul Goldschmidt does in this lineup is he takes pressure off Carpenter. Yep. I think we can stop worrying about like why do we have a three hitter why do we have what who should be our best two hitter or three hitter batting leadoff um i I think the answer to that is one we don't have a real leadoff hitter so long as fowler's not playing well um and two before goldschmidt we didn't have a real um we didn't really have someone you know else to really fill that role you know so we so hopefully uh i would actually like to see and I'm, people are probably going to be cra- think I'm crazy for saying this. I would like to see, um, again, assuming we don't get Harper, I would like to see Fowler start off in the leadoff spot again. Um, mm-hmm. I was listening to seeing, the Seeing Red podcast today, uh, and Bernie was kind of talking about how you know he thinks Fowler's going to kind of like be on a mission to prove like I'm not that guy from last year. Um, I do think there's a chance he's going to be pretty re-energized and to show like. I don't know if he's going to be the 2016 Dexter Fowler he was with the Cubs or he had like a 395 on base. Um, but man, if he could be closer to what he was in 2017 and have him at the top of the lineup, um, you know, getting on base at 360, 370 clip, uh, Carpenter at two hole, and then Goldschmidt coming up right behind those guys. Um, it's not quite what I said earlier with, uh, you know, Carpenter, Harper, and Goldschmidt, but that's a pretty good lineup. And, you know, assuming he's not hurt, that pushes Ozuna down to a what, cleanup spot, and I think that's a great spot for him. Hopefully, you know, if he can be what he was in 2017, then this, you know, this lineup has potential to be really good. Uh, I don't think we have to worry, well, I hope not, but hopefully also his arrival means we don't have to worry about seeing Molina in the top four or five spots um, anywhere in the lineup. You know, I didn't, I didn't love him batting second. Uh, I just thought that was silly. I know it was Yadier Molina and kind of like we defer to him on a lot of things. But to me, he should be batting 6th, 7th, or 8th. So, yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel about it. I, you're right. Like he does add something, um, possibly a bat that we haven't had since prime Pujols, um, you know, not counting, you know, those three and a half months last year where Carpenter was just out of his mind. <laughs> um, but, yes, yes, he's – he should round out this lineup pretty well. And, and that's and that's why I didn't want to sound like I was underselling him because he really is one of the best hitters in baseball. Yeah, I think it's easy to and we I know I did this with uh with Stanton last year when that sort of dangled out there as an option, you start thinking about how great it would be and then you end up with Ozuna, even if he'd been good last year, better than he was in reality, 
it still sort of felt underwhelming. So when you've got all this buildup for Harper and everything that he can be for the next five, six, seven, eight years, and then you have one year of Paul Goldschmidt, it feels like a little bit of, I don't want to say a letdown because I'm very, very excited to watch Paul Goldschmidt play for St. Louis next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it still feels like, well, okay, but can we do better? <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's going to be the case until you know we see what this what this roster can do if in fact it doesn't include any other heavy heavy hitters from the offensive side of the ball. So all of this of course is very subject to change. We have no idea what's going to happen in the next 12 hours, much less the next uh next week or the next month and and all of that will um tell much more of the story, but it is an interesting part of this to think about as far as what the 2019 Cardinals do look like if Paul Goldschmidt is their big play, which is a big play again, don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I just, I keep going back to this idea that 2019 is important um, in air quotes. I just wonder what, what is important for, is it important for the organization as a whole? Is, is it important for the guys on the roster that are coming up to the end of their contracts? Is it important for trying to win a world series this year? I mean, there's so many things um, that that could suggest. And, you know, I feel like if you really want to make the case, as you said, that, that you're all in on 2019, you, you're still, you finish seven and a half games back in the division, not four. (laughs) Um, so there's, there's a bit of a mountain to climb. (laughs) If if you forgive me, cause I want to lodge one more, just kind of complaint (laughs) about, about, uh, where this offseason could possibly be going. Um, again, we have Goldschmidt for one year, and, and then we're going to have to either try and re-sign him or watch him go elsewhere. Um, we've heard a lot of chatter lately about how how much the Cardinals are enamored with uh, Nolan Arenado, and if, say, he had been a free agent um, this year, then that would have been kind of their move. Um, and so perhaps maybe they're waiting for him next year. Well, here's my problem kind of with that sort of thinking. If Jason Hayward, David Price, Giancarlo Stanton, if they taught us anything, it's that we can't count on these guys signing with the Cardinals. You just can't. It's not going to be a guarantee that Goldschmidt's going to love it here and sign. It's not going to be a guarantee that just because Nolan Arenado is a free agent that the Cardinals are going to be able to get him to come to St. Louis. So all the more reason when there's a free agent like Bryce Harper out there to put your chips in the table and to take a chance. Like, I don't care how much you love Nolan Arenado. He's not a free agent now. He's not a free agent until a year from now. We don't know if he's going to come here. So why would you not take a chance on a guy like Bryce Harper when, I don't know, it just it just makes no sense to me with his age. At like, you know, he's five years younger than Goldschmidt, and they're talking about signing Goldschmidt for, you know, five years. And it's like, you can have that with Harper, only have his prime years. You know, you can have 10 years of Harper, which basically takes you through the what would be the Goldschmidt contract of five years, only you get the years Goldschmidt put up in Arizona. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. I, I'm reasonable or no, I, I made a similar point um, on the podcast I do with Daniel Shapta on Sunday nights, and I basically um, used those same numbers, made that same case. And it seems strange that, you know, the Cardinals would be more invested in the five through 10 years of what would be a Bryce Harper contract for Paul Goldschmidt. Um, than they would for years one through five, at least, of a Bryce Harper contract. And the whole waiting for Arenado thing, man, I, 
Derek Gould talked about that with Kevin Wheeler on his podcast um, not too long ago. And it just, it's, it's mind boggling to me how much it seems to fit what the Cardinals are doing and also be a really terrible play. <laughs> it just seems like there's so much more risk in this whole, let's wait for Arenado oh, and then absolutely. go all in than there is to go all in on Bryce Harper. Even if that's not the guy that you, you, you know, if you could draw up the perfect player for the Cardinals, maybe it's not Bryce Harper. Maybe it's Nolan Arenado instead. I don't know. That's probably not where I would go with it. But even if that's your point, there's there's less of a guarantee, so much less of a guarantee. The Colorado Rockies could compete this year and then decide to work out an extension with Arenado. And then you've mm -hmm. wasted the opportunity to sign Bryce Harper for the chance at Arenado that doesn't even end up happening. It just it's mind-boggling to me how that would be the 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 risk the Cardinals would be willing to take when they have this golden opportunity. Um, sorry, Paul Goldschmidt, not to steal the headline thunder, but um, this this chance at Bryce Harper. I, I, I agree, and it's it's funny to me that every every show that we've done <laughs> uh, this off season always seems to come back to Bryce Harper because it seems like it's such a perfect fit, especially with the addition of Paul Goldschmidt, especially under the premise of 2019 being important. Yeah, and that, it just highlights, I think the reason why we keep coming back to Harper is because that's a referendum on how unique of a free agent he is Yeah, based on age, talent, and all that. Yeah, well, we will table the Harper conversation for now, but I promise you we will get back to it because... That is what this offseason has become all about. But we will leave you, as we always do, with a chirp of the week. I took over last week, but I have handed it back over to Alex to bring you something this time. Great. So yeah, last week, Tara did the chirp of the week, and she talked about her grandfather and how he was invited uh, to an open tryout with the Cardinals. And he, he made the team, but essentially turned down the contract because he would have been blocked by Bill White. Now... During this, I, I sort of interrupted Tara at one point, and I said something that was really stupid. Uh, I said two things that were actually really stupid. Um, first, I mentioned the book uh, October 1964, and I said it was by Bill Halberstam, and that's actually by David Halberstam, of course, the famous author. I think it's because we were talking about Bill White. Uh, I had the name Bill on my mind. Um, and two, and uh, the more egregious error, I said... And I wasn't confident in it at the time, but I said, if memory served, Bill White was the first African-American to play for the Cardinals. That is categorically false, as um, was quickly pointed out to me by uh, Jeff Niehaus, who was Fly the L on Twitter. Um, he was not the first African-American to play for the Cardinals. Uh, Bill White didn't join the Cardinals until 1959. Um, in fact, he was preceded by several players, in including Kurt Flood, um, Brooks Lawrence, and Tom Alston, who was actually the first African-American to play for the Cardinals. Tom Alston joined the team in 1954. And I think that's significant because, you know, a lot of people think about Jackie Robinson uh, breaking the color barrier in 1947. And I think a lot of people just assume the floodgates open. And, and that did not happen. Um, as you see, the Cardinals did not get an African-American player until 1954. And you have to remember, there were only eight teams in the National League at that time. And the National League is where a lot of the African-American players, that's the league a lot of the African-American players were joining. Um, but the Cardinals purchased uh, Tom Allison from the Pacific Coast League San Diego Padres. Um, and at the time, he was the most expensive African-American player ever. Um, 
And they also sent four four players to the uh, San Diego, uh, the Pacific Coast League, San Diego Padres. Um, not quite the same, but if you want to, you know, consider this in the line of you know, other transactions we've had with the Padres, like Ozzy and Templeton, and you know, Edmonds and David Freeze, you know, definitely be my guest. Um, he was slated to be what people thought was going to be a very good player. Um, unfortunately, he suffered from mental illness, um, and you know. In this day and age, I don't think we deal with mental illness perfectly. And I'm going to assume in the 1950s, um, it was much, much worse. And because of that, he only played about four seasons with the Cardinals, and then he was out of baseball. Um, come around 1990, he was, he was living in a nursing home. And Joe Garajola found this out, and he went and met with him. And through a foundation that Joe Garajola was running at, at a time, he helped Tom Allison get an apartment and kind of get back on his feet and even got this thing going at Bush at Old Bush Stadium in 1990 where Tom Allison threw out the first pitch. And, and that was significant because, and I'm getting a lot of this information from the Sabre website, that's sabre.org, S-A-B-R.org. And that was significant because, you know, St. Louis at the time wasn't the most welcoming to him. And... When he threw out the first pitch, he got a standing ovation, and I thought that was really cool to see. And unfortunately, he passed about, uh, I believe, three years after that. And according to Saber.org, his tombstone in, in North Carolina actually has the birds on the bat on it, and I thought that was really cool. So there you go, Tom Alston. Go read about him on Saber.org, first African-American player to play for the Cardinals. Well, there you go. So not only a trip of the week, but also some homework. If yes, you're if yes. you're tired of reading about the winter meetings, you can go read about Tom Alston as well. Alex, thank you very much for that. Well, look forward to the remainder of the winter meetings and whatever madness stems from there, because there always is some. Look for um, some new Prospects After Dark merch as well. We'll shout out our, our good buddy Kyle Reese. He has uh, worked with Cardinals Gifts on some new merch that's available for a few more days anyway. So go get your merch there. You can follow Alex on Twitter at AlexCard79. I'm at Tara Wellman. And if while you're listening, you'd be so kind as to rate or review or subscribe to the podcast, that would be super Alex, am I forgetting anything? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, go check out those sweaters, uh, the Prospect After Dark sweaters. They're pretty hideous. I will probably buy one. Um, they're hideous because they're supposed to be hideous. But yeah, it's good stuff. All right. I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Happy uh, hoping for Harper as we continue through the offseason. And we'll talk to you again next week. 